This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two fantastic human beings, Paul Jaisley. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. This week's episode is extra super cool and special because it is a Kickstarter commissioned episode from our good friend Brad. Brad, this episode is dedicated to you and your family and everything about you. I don't know. I just want to say thank you so much, Brad, for your support on our Kickstarter last year. This episode is going to be all about pull lists and managing your pull lists and all that stuff. But we'll get to that in the second half of the show. For now, let's talk about the one thing we talk about every single week. And I'll ask that infamous question at this point. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. I've been good, Mike. Thanks for asking. Um, I have been reading a ton of comics because I just picked up a new uh, tablet, a new Kindle. I got that Hoopla app that everybody's talking about, and I've just been reading a ton, a ton of digital comics. I love it, including Silver Surfer Volume 1, A New Dawn, Green Lantern, Earth 1 Volume 1. Got those both through Hoopla. They're both great. Uh, as far as floppies go, I read Dark Knight's Metal number six, Killer Be Killed number 18, and of course, because it's WrestleMania Sunday when we're recording, I read WWE number 15, and Headlocked The Last Territory Volume 1. This is a book I picked up when I was at the Emerald City Comic Con a couple uh, last month, mm-hmm. written by Michael Kingston, art by Michelle Mulipola, and it's a book all about pro wrestling, and it's about breaking into pro- the business of professional wrestling. And you can tell it's written with love and admiration and respect for the art form of pro wrestling. They know their stuff. They based the comic on stories from actual pro wrestlers, what it was like training, what it was like getting their break into the business. And the, the main story of the book is about a wrestler named Mike Hartman who tried to get into pro wrestling and it didn't work out. He got taken advantage of by a promoter or by a trainer and he wakes up in the hospital beaten and bloody. And he's given a second chance. A pro wrestler comes and takes him under his wing and says, I'll give you a second chance if you really want to do this and put in the hard work to be a wrestler. I'll train you. The only caveat is everyone knows what happened to you in the past when you got beaten up by a trainer. So you're going to have to wear a mask and hide your identity to do it. So there's a mystery story involved trying to figure out exactly what happened to him in the past. Uh, There's the sort of drama of him becoming a pro wrestler and struggling with it. And a lot of the book is focused on that, him, him trying to understand whether it's worth putting his uh, health and well-being and mental well-being on the line to pursue his dream. I really enjoyed this book a lot. I, uh, I got the second volume all ready to go. It's great stuff. If you love pro wrestling, I think this is one of the best books that examines the, the behind the scenes, what it, really, what it takes to be a pro wrestler in a really respectful way. I really enjoyed it. So it's this is what you expected Ringside to be, right? <laughs> yeah, this is the book that I wanted <laughs> Ringside right out to of my be. Mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you and I are on the same. See, I'm still reading Ringside. I like it because I, I kind of like the direction they're going with it now. But this sounds to me like what we, I think you had originally pitched uh, or thought that Ringside was going to be. So I'm glad that you actually found the comic <laughs> that's doing the thing that you want. Didn't yeah. Ringside succumb to the goofy, weird image hiatus? It was like a year and a half or something... Maybe it felt like a year and a half. It yeah, was it, it was a while. It was a while. Right. This book yeah, sounds this... like when Hulk Hogan returned as what, like Mister America or whatever, and Mr. Vince America. McMahon hooked him up to the lie detector. <laughs> Jordan showed me. Jordan Jordan has a treasure trove of this goofiest, funniest wrestling clips, and that's one of his favorites. But it's not Hulk. It's not Hulk Hogan. It's Mister America. Because oh. Vince McMahon asks him, "Are you Hulk Hogan?" You and he Hulk says, Hogan? "No, brother." And the lie detector doesn't go off. So. <laughs> 
He's Mr. America. Mike, have you seen this? I haven't seen this. I, Nick, you're going to have to find a link for this. I'll put it in the show notes. This sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty great. No, I just looked at the, the cover for this book. This looks like a gorgeous comic. Yeah, it's a really well done comic. They have the all the volumes have a covers that are painted by Jerry Lawler, the legendary pro wrestler Jerry Lawler, who's also a graphic mm-hmm. illustrator. So he did all the covers oh. for it. Um, this volume has uh, an intro by Judah Freelander and oh, some yeah, additional sure. art by Jill Thompson. I know Ron Funches did the intro for the second volume of this story. So yeah, it's like people that really love pro wrestling and celebrate it are involved with this comic, and you can really, it comes through on the page. You can tell just how much the people that created it really care about this stuff. That's great, man. That's really cool. Uh, Nick, what are you, what, what have you been reading? How have you been? All that stuff. Uh, pretty good. Like, like Paul, I've been doing a lot of reading like Paul. I've also been, you know, shunning the ways of, of paper and, and staples and bags and boards and look out local comic stores. I'm going to, di- I'm not going digital full fledged. <laughs> Calm down guys. Like <laughs> all of us still on some level participate under the illusion that something we have is going to, you know, save us from financial insolvency down the line. So, uh, don't worry, guys. I, I, you know, I'm still gonna buy, you know, all three number ones of Gideon Falls, like I did lot, two weeks ago. So, uh, I mean, come on, look. Okay, you've got a, you've got an Andrea Sorrentino cover, you've got a Jock cover, you've got a Jeff Lemire cover. Like, you fucking put my back up against the wall. All right, <laughs> like, you might as well have put the gun to my head. Just to, I mean, actually, the gun to the head wasn't even necessary. It was like you've left me with no choice. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah. What have I been up to? Uh, f- financial ruin, I guess, would be the TLDR answer to that. <laughs> uh, my local comic store. It's like you're damn right. We'll see you next week. We got mm-hmm. your number. Mm-hmm. Right. What have I been reading? I read Quantum and Woody number four. Uh, I've been rereading the multiversity. Actually, I shouldn't say rereading. I missed one or two of the one shots as it was coming out. Um, got it digitally. So trying to read the whole thing now. Uh, Grass Kings 12, Deathbed number one. Don't read that book in public. Just some advice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good God. Uh, Terrifics number one. Uh, but the book I want to talk about is Secret Weapons number zero, Owen's story. Um, cool. This, of course, is the second one-shot that follows up on Eric Hessier's and Raul Allen and uh, colorist Patricia Martin's um, 2017 Valiant miniseries, Secret Weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, this follows up on the Secret Weapons number zero, which was the Nikki Finch secret, um, centered issue. She, of course, could communicate and talk with birds. Um, this one, as the title of the issue suggests, surrounds Owen, who has the ability to randomly conjure objects out of midair, uh, the catch being that he seemingly has no ability or control over what those objects are. What I really like about these one-shots is that um, Hessier has really used these one-shots as um, opportunities to really try some unconventional or really creative um, scripting opportunities. And with an artist like Raul Allen, who really loves unconventional panel layouts and and really striking panel you know structures, uh, it works out just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nikki Finch art um, issue surrounded more, it was more structured around being her diary, effectively. And we see all these entries as she joins the Harada Institute uh, and falls out of the Harada Institute subsequently. Um, but the Owen issue is really creative because with someone who's randomly conjuring shit you don't want all the time, the idea that he's naturally going to have a garage sale just seems so intuitive. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's... so, 
it oh, falls yeah. I, around. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. I mean, I was just gonna say, like, the fact that that seemed like that is the most obvious idea for oh, a story, yeah. and yet I never, for one second, even considered it. Like, that's that was the genius of this story. I thought. Oh, totally, and and, and I think what works is that it's not a random for funsies thing. Owen is trying to raise money to uh, pay for rent and board. Uh, and whatnot after the Willows, which is the sort of the... Uh, Toyo is, is paying for this lodging facility to try to train the people, the Psyots, who have lesser powers, slash X-Men, whatever you want to fucking call them, that's fine. And yeah. uh, he's trying to at least further their seemingly shitty powers to, to some extent, um, but he defunds the Institute and abandons it, and so, of co- course, Owen is trying to find a way to make some money. And it's 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 really creative. The issue is broken up into sort of these micro narratives. Uh, each narrative uh, begins with a little inner title card, which is a um, one of the things that's for sale. It, you know, it looks like a price tag, and then you get this little mini narrative that shows the arc of that object um, appearing, and then what he tries to do or decides to do with that object, with another inner title price tag at the end that shows uh, how much the item eventually sold for. So it's a really creative arc, uh, mm-hmm. and it tries to get at the idea that um, this elderly neighbor of Owen's suggests that maybe uh, his conjuring is not really um, random, and that maybe it has more to do with his constant fixating on the past. And so his conjuring, in some way, is sort of operating on a delay of sorts. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um and of course, this hints more at what we would discover at the end of Secret Weapons itself, uh, in terms of uh, the limits and and capacity of of his abilities. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it was just as good as the original one shot. The only caveat being that caveat being that we actually get the original art team from Secret Weapons back on this issue. And while Adam Polina of X Force fame did a perfectly fine job, I think getting him for the original one shot was well he was a good choice because aesthetically he was very close to Raul Allen but it wasn't the same yeah this this one shot was so damn good it reminds me why i loved secret weapons so much i mean both of these one shots have like put this yearning in my heart for more of that that team that team of characters and they're, they're going like to be in funny. harbinger wars too that's the best thing i can say is that see but those... don't try to hook me into this big old thing nick <laughs> yeah yeah sorry <laughs> Oh, that's cool, man. I, I, I'm glad you like this because I, I read it a couple weeks ago and, you know, right when it came out and I, I fell like head over heels in love with just this, the way that they told the story. I'm glad that it, like it made you like you liked it as much as well. Oh, totally. I mean, having having the original art team back was great and knowing that we're going to get them. Um, this team is going to be doing the basically the prelude one shot to Harbinger Wars 2. So maybe you could even get away with just reading that issue. Um, sure. I'm I'm scared that anything tragic might befall our secret weapons protagonists, and so maybe I will stop after the first issue. Just kidding, that <laughs> <Right>. won't happen. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What man. about you, Mike? Uh, well, for me, um, let's see. I sat down and tackled a bunch of like real books that I have that have just been sitting on my shelf because I keep buying these graphic novels and collected editions and not reading them. So I'm trying to 
make an actual effort. I feel like I say this every three or four weeks on the show, like I'm trying and then I fall off the wagon and I try again. So what I'm saying is that about once a month, I'm reading a graphic novel. But no, I, I did read a handful of those um, and some stuff from the library because there's a library close by. Um, but I did read, let's see, let me actually get to what I read. I read Not Drunk Enough, Volume 1. This is uh, by Tess Stone. He's amazing. Um, I read One Punch Man, Volume 13. I read Isola, Number 1, which was my pick last week. I also read Days of Hate, Number 2. And I only bring that up because, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> that's all I'll say. Uh, but the book that I do want to talk about this week that I read is The Terrifics, Number 1. This is by Jeff Lemire, as well, uh, with art by Joe Prado and Ivan Reese. Um, so first off, I want to say, this is not a number one. This is a <laughs> continuation of an ongoing story from DC's Metal. And I, having not read anything from Metal, the Metal event or whatever it's called, Batman Metal, Dark Metal, I don't know. I was so lost and I felt like, I felt like a lot of people must feel going into Marvel number ones. And this hurt my heart in so many ways <laughs> because there was so much continuity and so many things I needed to know about all of the characters involved, or at least Mr. Terrific and Plastic Man and the, the villain whose name I can't even remember because I don't know who they are. Um, and then there was the guy who can change his body into different metals or something. I don't know. Metamorpho. Christ. Metamorpho. Come on, See, but this is, so this is what it is. I, I felt like I didn't know enough and the book didn't give me enough to go in. Like Sounds I didn't like get a you quick fake little... fan. <laughs> exactly. I, I totally <laughs> am a kidding. fake fan. Um, I mean, it, the reason I was drawn to this book in the first place is, um, one, Jeff Lemire's on it, but part mm -hmm. two is I when I was reading um, Jeff Johns's Justice Society of America that he did, um, Mr. Terrific was one of my favorite characters in that. And... I thought like he had kind of a goofy power with the you know with the T balls and you know all that stuff, but T spheres, Jesus Christ, <laughs> T balls, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, I thought the character was really cool and interesting, and so I wanted more of that because I hadn't read any other real Mister Terrific stories. Um, I didn't, I didn't even read the the solo series that he had because I was just like trying not to buy into all of that DC garbage for a little bit, and. Uh, so I, I jumped into this book. I was really also interested in Plastic Man because in my head I have this extremely weird bias about the character in that I think he's going to be exactly like Morph from Marvel's Exiles, which is an mm. old series. Where Morph is this kind of like character who every panel he's kind of changing shape to kind of match what he's talking about. And it's really goofy and funny and it adds like a needed comedy like bit to an overall like very depressing terrible story um terrible in the sense of like just the world and the universe is collapsing and he's kind of like the the nice little like breather in between those dark and terrible panels and mm -hmm. so i kind of was expecting more dynamic between these characters and instead i got this whole i, I don't know i don't i don't even know what this <laughs> book was about ultimately hmm. like there was i was i was honestly super lost and I didn't know what what was happening, why I should even keep reading it. And I'm pissed at myself that I bought one and two. I didn't realize num number one came out. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to read this book. So I bought one and two preemptively thinking, hell yeah, I'm going to jump right in and be really excited. Mm -hmm. And now I don't even know if I want to try number two. Um, Interesting. So I, I ultimately, I don't know. I, DC fans out there, I mean, you, Nick and Paul, I know you guys have both read this book. Um, but Explain to me what I need to know or why I should even keep reading this book, other than the creative team. Yeah. 
I mean, one, they, they shouldn't have spun it out of metal. Not necessary. I mean, the whole, I think, basic framework from metal is that because Mr. Terrific was so tied up in the events of metal, he lost the, um, what do they call that? The, like, when you have the the majority share, he lost the majority share of his company and it got mm-hmm. sold off. And the other guy, who I can't remember his name, took it over, blah, blah, blah. Um and then, of course, I think some of the enemy elements in this book are stemming from the metal multiverse. I haven't mm-hmm, finished sure. metal yet, but this book didn't need to spin out of metal, really. I mean, it's not really engaging on that many concepts of metal, so I thought that was kind of a misfire. And then, of course, I, I want Doc Shaner on art. Ivan Reyes is perfectly fine. He's a very good artist. He's just a very different artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally worry that the people that maybe were attracted to uh, Ivan Reyes's art might actually, you know, leave when when Shaner shows up and this book might be in even more trouble. But I guess we'll sure. have to wait and see if that happens. Um, very different art styles. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that worries I mean, yeah, me. Yeah, that was, that was the other thing. I was like, when is Doc Shaner going to show? When is Evan Shaner going to actually four. be on this book? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, like, my other big issue with this book is that, gosh, what was the other one? Now I can't even remember. I mean, I, I ugh. The, 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 here's here's my other problem is that they launched it as part of this uh what do they call this branding now i think it's a new age of heroes is how yeah, dc yeah. is branding these books such as yeah. damn it damage and silencer and super hardcore and other you know, it basically it feels <laughs> like it has the aesthetic and vibe of like 1996 image titles which yeah. oh, sure they're like you know the artist is going to be the star and the artist is going to have the first title you know have the first credit on the cover and 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 the the artist is going to be labeled as the co-creator or the storyteller and it's like um there are better ways to respect the artist without i would say endangering your book because and this is pure speculation like giving ivan reyes the co-storyteller credit that that's cute that's very cute it feels like lip service to me um but it sounds like dc was making a real push towards actually having these artists plot or or you know actually script the book Mm -hmm. And to be honest, that feels like maybe what happened because like the, the actual script, the actual dialogue and interactions feels like Jeff Lemire. It feels like someone who's got a pretty strong handle on the characters, but the plot of the issue was just such goofy nonsense that I was completely incapable of following, um, that I kind of feel like maybe that was actually Reyes's work. Maybe Jeff Lemire. Maybe it was Jeff Lemire, and Jeff Lemire had an off day. Like I'll totally say, maybe that's what happened. But I mean, you didn't read his Extraordinary X Men, did you? Yeah, no. <laughs> but I did read his Justice League United, so I know that he's capable of having a bad day. No, um, no. I, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not trying to shit on Jeff Lemire. Yeah. I, overall, his Extraordinary. You X-Men can't bat one thousand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 You know, it's interesting because I, I've never really read a ton of Jeff Lemire stuff. For some reason, it's never really clicked for me. So that. Sure. I didn't have that going to this book. I wanted just like an adventure type book. You know, the team sure. itself, it strikes me as kind of like a Fantastic Four kind of vibe. You have the genius, sure. and Mr. Terrific, yeah. and Invisible Woman is Phantom Girl. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's analogies there. I love Metamorpho as a character, so I was excited yes. about that. And overall, I actually, I actually liked this issue. I thought it was a good setup for that type of dynamic, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, like Nick said, I don't think the metal tie-in did it any favors. Uh, it probably would have been a better standalone issue if I hadn't been involved in that. And 
the vibe I'm getting from the book feels at odds with the other titles that are spinning out of metal, like oh, Nick totally. said, you know? So I'm very curious to see how the book goes on once the art style changes. I like Ivan Race. Uh, he kind of reminds me of Jim Aparo, but I think the dynamic of the team and what they're probably going to go for story-wise mm-hmm. is better suited to Doc Shaner. So yeah, I guess it my... to an earlier age. It really yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. It does feel... The characters especially kind of have that sort of Silver Age kind of vibe to them anyway. Um, sure. So I guess my pitch to you, Mike, is um, maybe it's worth checking out issue four when once uh doc shiner comes on his art i don't know i don't know i can't okay. sell i i liked elements of metal i liked the ideas that came out of it sure but i don't think as someone who's not invested in dc there's not much there for you to go back and read i don't think so okay. if, if this issue didn't grab you especially the team dynamic doesn't work for you then maybe it's just not for you well, I think the team dynamic, we need to give it time to play out. And right. like for my yeah. five-second soapbox about metal, just being pissed about metal, I just want to say this real quick. <laughs> the whole fucking lie about metal was that you were going to be able to only read the numbered entries and you were going to get a full story and it was going to be self-contained and all fine by itself, which the implication is the other stuff is superfluous, which then why do you make the other stuff? Well, let's not let's not go down that, let's not go onto that soapbox right now. But sure. honest to God, I only read the numbered titles other than I think read the wild hunt and the Mm -hmm. stupid hawkman one and this book was a fucking mess if you only read the numbered (laughs) entries so we were we were sold a bill of goods here okay (laughs) that's a whole other discussion yeah that's a whole other episode i think (laughs) um okay well then maybe i see here's what i'm thinking i might just like eat the cost of buying number one and number two Mm -hmm. maybe try it in trade like yeah. maybe I'll try this in trade and see how it feels because I I didn't get the team dynamic very much. I didn't well, I, I was mostly hoping for a Fantastic Four esque story in a DC oh, universe sure. because Absolutely. that was the whole pitch to me. At least that's what I was reading online and I was like, Hell yeah, we've got Evan Shaner coming in, we're gonna actually get this kind of golden age feel of a story, kind of what like what he did with Futures what was it called? Uh the convergence oh, the, ones? No, the no the the book was Space Ghost. Oh, Future Quest. Oh, Future Quest. Future sure. Quest. Yeah, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. cool. This is gonna be great. And then we we you know I I don't mind Ivan Reyes's art, but I definitely that wasn't what I was expecting. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Maybe I'll again. I'll maybe I'll come back to this in trade, and we'll see how we feel about it. But yeah, let's move on. We talked way too okay. much about fucking DC <laughs> Comics. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about what we're excited for this upcoming week. Comic books are coming out on April eleventh. 2018 what are you guys excited for this week let's start with you nick uh for me it would definitely have to be gideon falls number two uh as i mentioned earlier i did read the first issue of gideon falls just a few days ago and for those of you saying that it seems like i got on board with a book that i should have really been reading a lot earlier that's true Mm -hmm. uh this was one of those books where the hype and the team uh, were so n- near and dear to my heart that I was really, really scared that it wasn't going to live up to it, honestly. And for someone like Sorrentino, who I've only seen work on franchised properties, I was a little... I mean, it seems like such a superficial concern, but I was a little worried to see what would happen when he was having to draw things that didn't have some like historical underpinning to them. Or capes. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just normal fucking people. Uh, ordinary fucking people. Uh, and... Uh, Anyway, I, I, I really, really loved that issue. I think it was, it sort of was, 
hinging on such concepts as like True Detective and, and, and Twin Peaks, but then I think in some ways it either toyed with those or it sort of subverted some of those expectations as well. Um, for those unaware, just very briefly, um, Gideon Falls sort of surrounds these two individuals of very different backgrounds and, and settings. You have this guy um, whose name is Norton. He lives in the city. Uh, he spends a lot of his days sort of scrounging around through the streets, finding, like, rubble and trash, and he obsessively puts it in mason jars and labels what they are and puts them on this massive shelf at home. And if you're thinking, this sounds like someone who might be a little bit unstable or who has some unhealthy fixations, um, you would be correct. Uh, his right. uh, psychiatrist has basically, we don't really know, quote-unquote, what's, what's wrong with him or what's ailing him, but she suggests that he was on the road to recovery from whatever is going on, and that some of these more recent behaviors are not really helping him and that he might find himself involuntarily institutionalized again. Mm -hmm. But he, he seems to be concerned that some of these objects possess some essence of evil to them, but he can't, you know, it's ineffable. He can't quite get at what it is. And then you have this other guy who is a priest named Father Fred, who he was in a teaching capacity. Uh, he had some issues with losing his faith and the whoever the senior priest above him was uh, said, you know, this this town of Gideon Falls, their their priest has died. We need you to go and replace him. He doesn't want to go, but of course, you don't really have a say in those sorts of things. Uh, and so he goes, and he discovers that Gideon Falls is a very quirky and weird place. No one seems to want to talk to him about how the previous priest died, uh, and yet um, you have this guy who the the one conjoining thing between Norton and this priest is that they both have, well, Norton has visions of this black barn that he keeps, that he starts sketching, and and the priest ends up discovering, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but there's there's a shared similarity there, and not <laughs> all is right. the description of this book, <laughs> I, don't I don't want to get, get into it too much. much. Right, right. So, I mean, like I said, you, you have these two adjoining narratives, and I'm just sort of coding over some of the general... Yeah, um, yeah statements about the two of them but it's very very interesting not all is right in Gideon Falls I cannot wait to see where this book goes uh the imagery at the end was uh both disturbing and yet also also just oddly darkly comical in a way that was very Lynchian I guess you could say hmm. um would definitely recommend this book to anyone who's interested at all in this team Lemire's been working on this for years in the conception phases and it shows yeah hmm. This book creeped me the hell out like, oh, yeah. to the point where I don't know if I want to keep reading it. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Paul, what about you? What are you excited for this week? Well, I am excited for Captain America number 700. I've stated on the show before I am a sucker for uh, legacy numbering and big oversized anniversary issues. And 700 yeah, issues yeah. of Captain America is obviously something I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. um, it's also the last issue of the Mark Wade and Chris Somney creative team because this is the last Marvel issue that uh, Somni is going to draw uh, for the foreseeable future since he's leaving the company. And we don't know where he's going, right? We Correct. We don't yeah. know. Okay. He's going to DC too, and he's going to get a Superman <laughs> spread as well, right? Oh, in front of every issue. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Um, I'm excited for this book because I, I've loved this creative team on everything that they've done at Marvel. They've been able to make books 
uh, that are approachable uh, for me as someone who's a pretty casual Marvel fan. They've made me really like Daredevil and Black Widow. I've always loved Captain America, so I'm glad that they mm-hmm. tackled that character. Uh, this book will be the conclusion of the out-of-time story that they've been telling the past couple issues, where Captain America is put in suspended animation, wakes up in the future where America's basically been destroyed and is ruled by a, a king, and he puts together a group of freedom fighters. He's going to take back the country. But in order to sort of... <laughs> Uh, you know, bring America back, Captain America kind of has to become King Captain America, they say in the Ooh. preview here. So it's an interesting idea. Um, for me, really, this series has been all about Somni's art, so I'm not sure how much longer I'll stay on this book after he leaves. Sure. Um, but I'm excited for this issue nonetheless. There, It is an oversized anniversary issue, so as in addition to this main story, there is a backup, which is Mark Wade writing... Uh, Captain America story based on some unpublished Jack Kirby artwork. So it's like Jack Kirby had pages of Captain America uh, for a Captain America story, didn't get published, so Wade wrote new dialogue for it. So I'm pretty excited oh, about that. Weird. It's all going to be yeah. recolored and everything. It's pretty cool because if there's one artist obviously you associate with Captain America, it's Jack Kirby. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited for a big anniversary issue like this. That's so cool. I didn't yeah. know about the Jack Kirby piece. That's really awesome. So that's why they're going to charge you six bucks to, to read the issue. <laughs> <Right. laughs> It'll be worth it, though. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, for me this week, I'm super duper excited for my favorite fantasy book. This is Sleepless Number 5 by Sarah Vaughn on Story with art by Lila Del Duca and Alyssa Sala. This is a fantasy story that doesn't quit. And quite honestly, it's the coolest thing. If you haven't read this book, and you like Game of Thrones, like that's what I, it's the only thing I can think of. If you like medieval fantasy stories that take place and have a lot of intrigue and really cool like character development and there's drama and some very subtle mystical elements, I highly recommend this book. Um, we're seeing, like in this next issue, we're going to see more of the Sleepless Nights. We saw a little bit more in issue four. Um, if you're not familiar with, with the story, Sleepless Nights are soldiers who vow to never sleep again in order to protect their lord or their whoever they've been assigned to, essentially. So there's this mystical question of like, or this question of, you know, how are they staying awake? It's not, a, it's not a matter of sheer will. There's something magical going on. And there's a lot of really like under the skin type magical elements to this story that we haven't quite completely seen yet. But that kind of like layering of the story really makes a, a book work for me. And I'm, I'm really, really loving what's happening. Um, the, the, the other piece of the story that's starting to unravel more and more is who's trying to kill our leading lady. There was an assassination attempt in issue one, and we're slowly getting details about who's trying to kill Poppy slash her full name is Pippina. Um, it, it, we're getting closer to figuring out what's actually happening. They've put a bunch of players into the story to say, could it be, it's like a whodunit kind of piece. But then there's these mystical elements and this whole familial thing. And there's a lot of this book is, is very dense and it's really well crafted to deliver a lot of story without overwhelming you know, each issue. So very excited to see where this next issue goes. I don't know if it's the end of the arc. I'm guessing number six will be the end of the arc. But um, this is going to be a really, really good trade, nonetheless, when it's all collected. So super excited for this next issue. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys read fantasy stories at all, but if you wanted to try one, don't try Rat Queens. Try this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's never been quite my thing, but um, yeah, I mean, you make a good case for it. I might check it out. I mean, it, take a look at the preview pages for Sleepless Number One. Like, yeah. Lila Del Duca's art is phenomenal, and it's it's month every single month. It's like that. It blows my mind the amount of detail and precision that is in her art that 
like it manages to come out week after month after month like mm-hmm. you they've got to be working six or seven months in advance in order to get this book to come out on time <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm looking at some of the art right now yeah it's it's lovely so good we got another one folks we got paul <laughs> <laughs> they trapped me they got me Our show this week is a special, cool, commissioned Kickstarter episode from one of our awesome fans out there. Brad, thank you so much again for your contribution to our Kickstarter. It was totally worth it. I guarantee you this episode's going to be awesome and your money was well spent on equipment and all sorts of Emerald City Comic Con awesomeness. So let's get going. We're This week we are talking all about pull list, pull list management, how you manage your comic book subscriptions, how you manage your comic book libraries. All of that, and it's somehow going to be fit inside of one episode. I know (laughs) that at one point we had talked about doing a regular monthly series about doing, you know, discussing the previews catalog every month, but there was just some issues we ran into in terms of turnaround time, and this may be something we revisit in the future. But nonetheless, we're going to do this whole episode about pull lists, so let's get started. Nick wrote an entire six-page thesis about this (laughs) because he has got a lot of thoughts about comic book pull lists and how he manages things with previews. So, Nick, let's start with some some of your first points. Like, what, how are you, how do you manage your pull list and how do you manage your previews orders every month? Because this is something that you do every single month, right? Right, yeah. Or maybe, and maybe give a little bit of background about what previews is for maybe the folks out there who don't use this. Sure, absolutely. So Previews is a catalog. It comes out monthly, and it shows all the comic books and comic book-related merchandise that's set to come out roughly two months from the point at which you receive the catalog. Uh, sometimes it's three months, especially if it's a trade or if it's a large, expensive, delayed item, but frequently you're you're ordering two months in advance. So, for mm-hmm. example, it's April at the time of recording. If you picked up this month's catalog, most of the items would come in either in June or July, give or take. Right. Like I said, single issues are usually being solicited two months in advance. Other things get delayed more than that. And so it's this big this big catalog, and you can either order it from another previews, or you can, um, depending upon your shop's policy, uh, my shop, for example, orders a bunch of previews every month, and when I go in for whatever reason, um, I just grab a previews and I, you know, just buy it when I buy everything else. It's that simple. Um, And with my shop, and I've talked about this before, my shop, as long as I order one item from that previews catalog, they are willing to subsidize the cost of the catalog. So as long as right. I come back and I've ordered one item, it's it's free. Uh, some yep. places I've heard are willing to negotiate on this. Other places have a similar rule like this in place. Right. And to jump in real quick um, before we go further into this, yeah. we have discussed you know pull lists and managing your subscriptions and all this stuff on a couple of other episodes. The four that I could find that where we did discuss this in some capacity were episode 10, Do Your Dishes for a Game Boy Game, episode 31, Experiences in Buying Comics, episode 42, We Support Gluten-Free Comics, and episode 76, The Great Bard Nickelback. So if you want to go check out those episodes, they totally exist. And we do discuss some of this stuff. And if you did listen to those episodes, we may be repeating ourselves if only to make sure that we cover everything around all this stuff today so continue nick continue sure i mean uh i, I guess from here what what else do you want to discuss i think that's a really good basic framework of of what previews is and, and oh, sure. how you can get your hands on it i think that that's probably um 
the easiest way. Uh, now, some people might want to know whether or not previews is essential, and of course, I think a lot of people will tell you, and some of you listening might have already decided that you're already deep into comics, and previews is something you don't use or don't need. Um, yeah. At least you've made that mm-hmm. assumption, I guess. Um, because for a lot of you, 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 you already, if you're buying trades, previews is probably not an issue, because trades are pretty well stocked in a lot of different places and if mm-hmm. you buy singles at the right places your shop orders enough in excess that um having a pull probably isn't even necessary but uh, those are well, those on, are exceptions yeah. to the rule like big say, exceptions let's take a to step the rule back, yeah because i think we may be making some large assumptions about some shops right sure i think there there is something to be said about going to your shop and saying hey here's the diamond distributor number for a book that i want which is something you see a lot on social media and i mm-hmm. think you'll see mm-hmm. in publisher press releases that they do for their books that are coming out so if you if you aren't necessarily completely plugged in a lot of these you know publishers they will you know publish a press release of some sort that a lot of news sites will pick up newsarama cbr bleeding cool um some of those news websites they'll they'll pick up and say oh here are all the books that marvel has coming out here are all the books that black mask has coming out here are all the books that valiant has coming out and from there usually those will all have if not a date that they're going to come out they'll also have like a diamond distributor number meaning like if you take that number and you take it to your comic book shop because every comic book shop in the united states or at least in north america they have they, they all of them are using the Di- diamond distributor system mm-hmm. which is this previews catalog in order to order all their comics so if you take this number and it's usually like you know jun it'll be like the month that the book's coming out i think it doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. matter but a three letter word plus a number and you take mm-hmm. that number you give it to your comic book shop if if they are good comic book shop and aren't going to be total dicks about it um they will put that book on their order sheet and they should hopefully have it reserved for you like i again i don't know how your system works at your public your comic book shop but if you have a shop that does some sort of pull like pull list or a like pull box i guess um and you give them that number they should be able to order that copy for you and put it in your pull box for the next for when that book actually comes out now mm-hmm. Books that have these dates and as to whether they're going to come out, you know, nothing is guaranteed or set in stone. They're rough estimates for the most part, because <laughs> even the the most top prolific books, such as a Doomsday Clock, you know, that book, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that book even, you know, can even have significant delays based on, you know, writing or art or yeah. editorial or you never know. You know, these these things, nothing is set in stone. Um, you can only hope and pray and sacrifice some sort of animal or some sort of you know digital item that has a soul um, in order to make this all happen. Hmm. It's it's really complicated. I don't know. So I guess <laughs> my thought is like I don't really use a pull system because I shop at Midtown Comics and I'm one of the right. elite. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean I can go on the Midtown Comics website and I can order books and I can say oh here are my subscriptions and they'll pull them for me. They do all that yeah. for me. But they do offer a diamond book every month and you can use the pre-order system to actually get a discount. I don't know why I don't do that. But um, even still, like you can go through them and set that up. So, but it, it really, really varies from shop to shop. Like Midtown has their online system, and you know your shop probably doesn't have an online system, so you have to use previews or you have to sit down with them and say, "Hey, I don't know how pre-ordering books works, but here are the books that I want to get." You know, I want to <laughs> start reading Saga, and I want to have one ready for me when I get to the shop because 
in in the cases of books that maybe aren't super popular, like if you're reading a book that's coming out from a smaller publisher, if you don't go in and actually try to pre-order a copy, and you know whether it's coming out in a month or it's coming out in three months, there's a there's a chance you won't get that book, and that's kind of a bummer. So I guess what I'm trying to get to is I know Paul mm-hmm. <laughs> does not use this preview system. So Paul, I'm curious as to how you get you make sure that you get your books when they're you know far out in advance like a new number one gets announced how do you go to your shop and say hey i want this to be in my pull box when i show up yeah i mean my shop luckily is they're very um very accommodating so they offer the service of using previews and putting in a big order i'm really bad at pre-planning so i don't do that so i just tell them what series i want and they'll just pull them for me i have a pull system that way Okay. But if there's a new number one coming out, I hear about it via the creator on Twitter, or I read about it on a website, or this, I see the solicitations that come out you know, a couple months in advance online. I'll just shoot my store an email and say, hey, this is a book that's coming out. I'll try to say this is the, the publication date. I'll try to get that preview, the diamond uh, number that you mentioned, Mike, mm-hmm. and give them that information uh, just as a one-off. That's kind of how I okay. do it. Luckily, my shop's really accommodating, and they, they don't mind that. If we just shoot them an email and say, this is a book that's coming out I want. If there's a specific cover I want, if it's a variant cover, I'll tell them that. But for the most part, I kind of just have a pull list that is a list of titles that I'm reading, and they'll pull the new issues for me once they come out. Okay. Okay. The issue with that, as opposed to doing a, a full preview you know, order form every month, is that if I drop a book... Because they're solicited two months in advance, I'll usually get the two issues after I drop the book. You know what I mean? Right. So if I'm like, okay, this book isn't working for anymore. If I drop it, I know I'm basically in for two more issues at least since the shop has already ordered them for me. And I don't want to be the person that's saying, I don't want this and have them eat the cost of that book. You know, I like my shop and I want to make sure they're making money off these comics. So that's the one disadvantage to doing it my system. Okay. Okay. That's kind of a bummer. I mean, but mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to do, I guess? And that's that's where, you know, this is where like coming into managing your pull list and how that whole yeah. system works. I mean, that's also a question of it kind of varies from shop to shop. And it's a matter of how are you managing your whole pull list? Right. Because if you're if you're someone like <laughs> me, I'm 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 reading digital and I'm reading physical books. And, you know, I've got a subscription at a comic book shop, but I'm also like pre-ordering books and, you know, Man, basically trying to keep a list of all the things. My whole go-to system is to keep an Excel spreadsheet of everything that I have currently pulled. Um, that doesn't track month to month and doesn't give me like an accumulation of all the books that I get. But it's a spreadsheet that says, here's a book. Here's how much it costs. Am I buying it physical? Am I buying it digital? Am I going to drop it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> is this book going to end? Just so that I, I have like a, a rough estimate of... Not only how much I'm spending, but also, you know, just what books I'm reading. So if someone says, oh, what do you recommend or what are you reading right now? I don't have to remember anything, but um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. How yeah. do you guys keep track of all that stuff? Do you have a mix of digital and physical that you're reading or is it just kind of you play it by ear? Yeah, I don't subscribe to any stuff digitally. Um, if I usually just all my digital comics are either done through uh, Hoopla, like I mentioned earlier, so they're free, or I do um, just buy stuff on sale. So I usually... Tr- buying trades digitally. As far as single issues that I'm buying, my monthly books, I have my pull list at my shop and every once in a while, I'll just have them. I I don't keep track of it. I'm a really bad comic book fan. So I have to sure. ask them like, could you email me my pull list? Like, what am I reading? Please, please remind me. So send me the whole list. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll drop stuff. If it's a mini series that ended or if it's a book I'm not interested in anymore, I'll just reply and say, hey, drop these books, add these books that are coming up. So for me... I'm, since I'm so bad at planning, I'm trying to get better at 
keeping track of what I'm actually reading month to month. And I've found that there's a couple apps on my phone that I've, are good for that. Um, one I just tried and I seem to be pretty happy with um, is called uh, Comic Shopper. It's a free app. There are ads on it, though. <clears throat> okay. And essentially what it is, it is the, the weekly list of what's coming out this week and then one week in advance. You go through and select what you want to read and it'll keep a tally of what that's going to cost you. And then once you buy the books at the shop, you can select that you've paid for them, you've bought them, and then the app will apparently keep a running list of books you're buying regularly and sort of generate the list for you of oh, cool. you know what your favorites are. So I haven't explored too deeply into it in that regard, but at least for me now, I can go into my shop, pull up my phone and say, okay, this is the stuff that was already pulled for me. Maybe there's something I forgot to ask them to pull. I'm going to see if they have it on the shelf. That way I don't have to, I don't forget anything. I have it right there on my phone of what I'm buying that week. And mm-hmm. that helps budgeting. For me, it's more an idea of not what the number of books I'm reading is. It's if I can keep it between 10 and 15, 10 uh, to $20 a week that I'm buying in comics at my shop. That's my kind gotcha. of my mental, you know, uh, gauge there. Okay. Nick, what about you? I'm, I'm sure that you have a, a like Rube Goldberg machine esque way of tracking <laughs> sure, all of your sure. comics, right? Well, you know, R- R- Rube Goldberg is correct. It's absolutely correct. There's, there's a system, but it's inefficient and it's largely stupid. Um, so <laughs> Rube Goldberg is a very, very apt way of putting it. Um, sure. so I used to use pull list via comiXology, that was a really good way of inputting everything that I was um, reading. And then, of course, when I would go to the store, I would simply log in, check um, you know, my subscriptions for this week, and just verify that it was indeed correct, even though occasionally that system was wrong or had wrong dates or they had the dates right for books, but for some reason it wasn't coming into my own custom My Subscriptions sure. page. Anyway, uh, th- that system's gone, so there's no point in talking about its imperfections, right? That being said, what have I done since then? I tried League of Comic Geeks, and you can look into this. It has a similar service, um, but I found that I don't really enjoy that it tries to be all things to all people, and a lot of that involves like social media elements, and like this is comics, I'm not here to make friends, so I don't really <laughs> like those things. Uh, so for me, I wasn't really down with that. They've got some questionable um, sort of privacy security things that I'm not real big on, or at least to my understanding of how things work, I'm not real big on. I really like Comic List. I think it's comiclist.com, and you yeah. can just simply see what's coming out for that week. Hmm. If you occasionally aren't real good at spotting all your books or remembering what you pulled, um, what I think I'm going to be doing for next month, because of course Comicsology's service ended right around the end of March, so this is all sort of a, a new frontier for a lot of us, sure. um, or at least trying to figure out what we're going to do. Um, is I'm probably just going to go through previews and I already basically scraped all my data off my pull list, um, Comixology pull list page before it shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got all of that information and I'm just going to make a list of all the books. And when I go through the catalog, I'm just going to write down all of the dates for all the books as, as for when they're supposed to come out and just organize that. Uh, and of course it's very pen and paper. It's very inefficient, but it means that, um, Mark Zuckerberg isn't going to come away with any of my reading trends or data. So uh, if you'll excuse me, I need to realign my tinfoil hat and keep listening to InfoWars. So if you guys can keep it down, I just really want to focus on what Alex is trying to tell me over here. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you, you, you brought up, you know, League of Comic Geeks because I, 
sort of made the switch earlier this year, knowing that Comixology's pull list was going away. Yeah, yeah. And I started to use it more and more simply because they have an app. And because it there's nothing else close, sure, yeah, well, and, yeah, and there's nothing else close. Like, and this this app that Paul was talking about, Comic Shopper, I think is might yeah. be Android only. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so, League of Comic Geeks works. I I like their interface. The only downside I think is that their information is crowdsourced. So it's you know you have to, I think you have to be a certain member level, not like you have to pay for, it, but a contributor level of some sort. In Your thetans to... have to be at a certain point. Yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> well, it's like Wikipedia. You know, you can get verified as like a contributor, and you can get a special badge that says yes, you're an authority on X or Y. And there's a whole episode of Reply all about that. If you're really interested, I highly recommend looking up the community behind the wikipedia like i i'm sorry to totally tangent but it is an episode that blew my mind about this young woman who at like age 17 became a verified moderator of this like section of wikipedia and when she got really sick um all of these moderators that she knew like pooled their money together to like help her with her hospital costs it totally blew my mind like that people out there exist that are kind on and on fucking wikipedia of all places like <laughs> that just seems anyways so League of Comic Geeks, I think, is crowdsourced, so like their data isn't really accurate up until like the week or two weeks before a book mm. comes out. So okay. you're maybe missing cr- creators, or you're missing covers, or you're missing even release dates. Like I think some people like pull in the solicits as soon as they get announced, and then they have to update them as it gets closer and closer to the release date. Um, so it's it kind of it's funky because there is now no solid source that's like tapping directly into Diamond, and Diamond is even not even up to date until the week before. And it's comic books have this problem with data. And and I could go on a whole rant about it, but let's mm-hmm. not do that. Sure. <laughs> Instead, I, what I want to say is that League of Comic Geeks works, and I think a lot of people have switched over to it. And this kind of brings me to my next point of, you know, we're there now that Comixology's pull system is gone. Um, they had a retailer side to things that allowed people to like pull books at your specific shop, and then the shop would check the Comixology website and they'd go, oh, you know, Nick is pulling the Terrifics. What the fuck is his problem? They're not um, supposed <laughs> to know that. What well, no, hell? I mean that's it's a whole it's a joking. whole thing. Yeah. But so what we're seeing now is that League of Comic Geeks and Diamond are actually going to be rolling out their own retailer systems to say you can create a pull list, you can associate yourself with a shop, and then when you pull a book, it will show up on that retailer's you know system that says, hey, this person is attached to this account. Pull this book for them. Uh, make sure that it's in their pull box when they show up. But I I don't know how the system is going to completely work. I have only read just like the brief cliff notes of how this whole thing's going to work but that's how it that's one system and i know diamond's got their own thing that's going to come out and the interesting Mm -hmm. part about Mm -hmm. diamond doing this is that at this point they are the only source of information right Mm -hmm. they control all the data as to when books are coming out so having them roll out a service actually makes a ton of sense the question is are they actually going to do it and my faith is not very large i don't have how a lot well of is it going to work thing. yeah when you look <laughs> at how, well how diamond approaches work? other things yeah exactly yeah. personally i still like going into my shop and at least having the interaction with someone who is going to know all of the right questions to ask if for example if the book has multiple covers or if there's like a one shot that precedes it that you're supposed to be reading before it whether or not i yeah. want that or if there's a mini series and then it's the, the series is shifting tone. Do I want to read it when it shifts or do I automatically, am I not interested? So I, I do wonder if with a lot of these um, interesting questions that come up via, you know, subscribing to books, uh, how comprehensive the system is going to be in terms of in terms of doing that. And that's why right. I think I largely prefer that that in-person interaction but yeah um mm-hmm. it, you know, so so for that side about actually having the book be 
pulled, you know, I'm not as interested. But in terms of the cataloging and like I said, um, holding your, your shop accountable in terms of delivering on what they're supposed to deliver, I, I definitely appreciate and need programs that do that. So, hmm. yeah. And I think that there's there is a hybrid answer to this, you know, like having a digital side, but also like having that actual interaction. Because what's interesting is that when as these systems roll out, like it kind of creates a disconnect between you and your shop, and you're oh, just yeah. you're just a consumer, you know, you're just you're a person that's not even coming to the shop to talk to anybody. And I know Nick made the joke, he's not here to make friends, but going into the shop is, is when it comes to physical books can be like part of the ritual. It's part of the habit yeah. of buying comics. You know, your your whole thing of making a an effort to say, hey, let's go to the comic shop. Hey, let's go get comics. You know, that's something that's like it, it been ingrained in my head is like, a, oh, this is an event. This is a thing <laughs> that we're going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when I didn't live, you know, I don't live walking distance from my shop now, but I work walking distance from Midtown Comics. And so, like, when I'm saying hey, I'm going to the shop, it means I'm going up this fucking street. But, like, when I lived in, you know, Michigan, like, going to the comic shop meant, all right, let's drive to this other part of the city. And then, oh, well, let's do it right around dinner because then we can go get dinner. And then mm-hmm. maybe after dinner, we'll go to this other thing. And, like, Nick, I know you've got a whole thing that you go do. Paul, I don't know what your, like, ritual is for going to get comics, <laughs> but I feel like nonetheless, it is kind of a thing. It, like, yeah. Not Paul's, Paul's ritual comics. is calling the shop, finding out if I'm there, and then d- deciding based on whether or not I'm there when I'll he's going to arrive. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Is no, Nick I mean, there? Yep. It's fuck. a thing, right? It, that's that's part of getting comics, right? I think I think that's something that I've somewhat kind of take for granted because I live very close to my shop. I can actually just walk to it in about five ten minutes, uh, so I, I benefit that way. And as I mentioned, my shop is really really great about getting stuff for me and pulling stuff for me, and not missing anything. They've gotten to the point where they'll just it sounds weird. They'll pull stuff for me without me asking whether that's a psychic thing or they're sort of assuming that I want something, but it actually works out. I remember they pulled the first issue of Assassinistas, which I totally forgot was coming out and it was in my box already. And luckily I enjoyed it. So they Mm -hmm. told them to keep pulling it for me. But that's something I think Nick was talking about this idea that if you have a regular shop, don't take it for granted, go in there regularly, you know, tell the people what, tell the owners what you want, uh, set up that rapport. I know not everybody lives close enough to a comic shop to have a local one, but if you do, I guess what I'm saying is don't take it for granted. Set up a pull list. That way they know exactly what they need to order. Again, if they order too much of something, they can't return them usually. Uh, So they're, they're putting down the money. They have to eat the cost of books that don't get purchased. So if you do have a pull list, go pick it up regularly. So um, part of that ritual of going to the comic book shop, I think that's, that's what I enjoy. So the idea of doing a big pre-order or trying to manage my list, you know, via an intermediary between me and my shop, that doesn't seem as appealing to me as just going in and saying, "Hey, I want this book, but it's coming out in two months. Could you put it on my list for me?" Yeah, that to me is way more appealing. Know, a lot of us see all of these this increasing amount of middlemen as just uh, another opportunity for things to end up with playing a game of telephone, I guess, in terms yeah. of sure. Sure. getting what you want. Yeah, I mean, you run into that problem of, you know, oh, well, I said that I updated on the website. It's like, well, when did you actually update it? Oh, you, you were supposed to do it by the cutoff date, yada, yada, yada. You know, you kind of run yeah. into these problems that aren't – you you would definitely get an answer, you know, from your shop if you were talking to them directly. If you were saying, you know, oh, pre-order this book that's coming out next week. It's like, sorry, bud, like the cutoff date was actually a couple <laughs> months ago. I'm sorry. That sucks. Yeah. But I maybe if we have extra copies, I'll grab one for you. Kind of, you know, and mm-hmm. – 
there, there's another point I want to get to, but Nick, I'll let you continue your thought, and then, um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what what Paul was saying about don't take a, a good shop for granted is is totally true, and Paul and I share the same shop, so I think we have mm-hmm. similar observations about a lot of this. Um, I can totally see why, and I wrote about this a little bit in the thing I had sent you guys before. Um, someone who doesn't have the uh, opportunity of having a really excellent shop nearby, um, but maybe or that person shop in general sure yeah. sure yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, if that person the easy answer to say is well just go read digital and that's not fair because certain people for whatever reasons want physical books and in those situations you might be stuck with a bad shop and of course i would say you should never compromise for a bad shop but sometimes that's just the reality of the situation and if that's true then having these intermediaries where you can pretty much um just go in once a month, grab your previews, pick out what you want, uh, email it in, or use the the preview system to pull the books in advance, and then you literally just maybe, unless your pull is massive, you can get away with showing up once per month, um, both to pick up the previews and pick up the previous month's orders, and that's it. And right. it totally sucks to say, let's find a way to minimize the amount of time you spend in your shop. But like I said, we're not all that lucky. Some of us have mm-hmm. shops where people are excessively negligent with ordering things, or maybe they're a multifaceted business and the comic side of things is something they're largely apathetic about or negligent mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Uh, even worst case scenarios where the staff is, you know, creepy or weird or, you know, um, just harassing people. And so, yeah, yeah, in in those situations, maybe these systems will help minimize the amount of time you have to spend there, even though, again, that totally sucks that that's what things come to. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we're we're in a very, I think, advantageous position. Sure. Guys reading comic books, going into shops where we're not going to get leered at or talked down to or, you know, and, and, and it's. When when you and I think to Nick's point, you know, it really does give you like these types of digital systems that create the the gap between that. And, like no one's going to judge you for your picks. I mean, unless they're really get, actually going to pull out your books and give you shit about it in the store. And in that case, get a match and which happens. Place down. <laughs> like come the fuck <laughs> on. I'm yeah. spending money at your fucking shop. Do not talk to me like. Right. Anyways, so. Yeah. I think like that that is the other side of this, and I think that these systems totally work um that and and they can be super advantageous for us if or for people in general for comic book readers who maybe want to have that physical book but they don't feel comfortable going to their shop and talking to somebody about it like yeah. I hope that this can be that mediary for you to make sure that you get the books that you want without having to deal with that those type types of issues i mean that's that's the other side of this thing that I don't like no. I don't have experience in, so I can't really speak to it outside of the stories that I've been told. Right. We just um, know that think, it happens. That's it. And we and it's it's we totally know that it happens. So I don't want to avoid it at all. Um, the one other thing I I do want to talk about is Vault Comics, um, mm-hmm. really quickly, because Vault Comics is launching their launching their own thing called Book It, and it's a pre order system for all of their books, and they are actively enrolling shops across the country, and I think it's a really interesting idea. That one comic book shop or one comic book publisher, excuse me, they want to roll out their own pre-order system, and I don't know if that's supposed to be independent of Diamond or independent mm-hmm. of League of Comics or redundant. if it's supposed to work. It feels redundant, but it makes their system feel more special in a way, and that's yeah. 
I'm like torn in two directions because for one, I'm like, don't give Marvel and DC this own, this fucking idea because next mm-hmm. thing you know, Marvel and DC is going to be like, oh yeah, we just rolled out our own systems and guess what? It's two ninety nine a month. Yeah. You, you know right. that they would fucking do that because that's that's just what they do. And so I'm like torn because I think it's a great way for Vault to be like, hey, look, look at how smart and independent and cool our books are. But on the other on the counter side, it's like, but. What if all other publishers do this? Do they want to invest in this? And if they do, what does that mean? Do you have to go to 20 different websites just to pre-order all your books now? It's it's really bizarro. It, it's, I'm pretty fascinated by it. I'm, I can't wait to see how it plays out because the Diamond distribution system is feels incredibly antiquated and sure. counterintuitive all the time. So sure. I'm glad that to see a publisher, especially a smaller publisher, a newer publisher, think outside the box in a sense and say, okay, we're... We might still be involved with Diamond. We're going to give our fans an easier way to find our books. Because the fact of the matter is, if you pick up a copy of previews, it's really thick. And there's a lot of publishers in the back that probably most people don't flip to the back to look at. So for a smaller uh, publisher like this that's doing innovative stuff, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm just curious to see how it's going to interact with the overarching Diamond system, which honestly probably needs a shakeup at this point. Yeah, and so let me let me just play the devil's advocate here, and maybe just defend Diamond a little bit. Um, Why? So I'm here, here hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. So the thing about Diamond is that they are the center of everything, right? They are mm-hmm. the they are the bottleneck, and they are also the the path to success in some ways. And the problem that I think Diamond has the most is that one. They have so much information they need to catalog and they need to make sure it all works. And I'm pretty sure that their team is very small. Two, publishers are notoriously bad about getting correct data to Diamond. That's true. And so, like, the most accurate place you can go to... I mean, Marvel and DC's websites sometimes aren't even right about books that are coming Mm -hmm. out this week. Mm -hmm. So, imagine how complicated it's got to be for Diamond to wrangle not only the big two, but also 400 other publishers and say, hey, if you want your stuff in our book... You better get us the information. Now, Marvel and DC, they can probably say, well, it doesn't matter. People are going to buy Captain America books as long as it's got Captain America on the front, right? Mm-hmm. Now, where when it comes down to these smaller publishers, they probably get their shit together because they need to make sure that the most accurate information is in that book so that people will even just remotely potentially glance at it and go, that sounds cool. So it's really interesting to see my, my what I'm trying to get to is that it's interesting to see Vault saying, let's step aside and do our own thing because we know that our data and our information is going to be accurate. Whereas yeah. with Diamond, like their whole problem is that they've just got too much information or they're getting they're not getting information quick enough or they're not getting data fast enough because these publishers are probably overwhelmed just getting their, their shit together in general, wrangling all these creators. And I realize that's the other half of it is creators are unpredictable. Not to say that that creators in general are unpredictable but shit happens books get delayed yeah. you know a script doesn't get written a page doesn't get drawn it just happens you know so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to see like i love that vault's doing their own thing i don't want other publishers to try it but at the same time if they do try it they have to make sure their information is correct otherwise it's a total failure it's there's no point in doing it so there's like a lot of things swirling around in my head about this yeah yeah. Right. If 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 you're going to offer up a digitized you know, internet service, you at least need to fix the core problem of of previews, which is that it's it's static. Right. You have this catalog, and you know it's not magical e ink or something. It's not going to automatically shift all of the dates in it when the when the book changes or when right. they bring on a backup artist, and all of a sudden the guy you thought was drawing it isn't. 
that's like one of the bigger issues with with Diamond. But I sort of you know you you accept the flaws and you roll with the punches because you're not going to find another source of while occasionally incorrect. Um, consolidated data. I mean, right. if you want to go roll mm-hmm. around on all the different publishers' websites and find all of their dumb solicits and wade through the stupid things and figure out whether or not they've got all their variant covers listed or whether or not they have pictures of them, so you have to go hunt down the variant cover pictures or or any of that stuff. I mean, be my guest. That's fine. Go do it. But I think the one of the better things about previews is that it really allows you to sort of very casually peruse through everything that's there without having to hop through 15 different tabs and windows and pages and stupid image cover renderers and shit like that that you would have to if you're on the internet Mm -hmm. because because i find perusing is just so annoying when it comes to looking up solicits online and so i find previews really encourages me in a lot of ways to have an easy and accessible look at things that i maybe wouldn't necessarily look at if you've got two hours it's really easy i just skip the manga section and uh <laughs> <laughs> that really cuts down your time by i'm just i'm yeah. just kidding i'm not yeah kidding, yeah i mean i think what's interesting about all this is that we all have different ways of managing our our pull list or kind of finding stuff we like and i think that's the biggest hurdle i think for new comic book fans is just getting the information knowing what's coming out when there's a lot of different ways you can find that. And just a matter of, I think it's a matter of you finding what works for you, you know, but yeah. it's previews, if it's thumbing through a physical catalog, awesome. That's there for you. If it's an app on your phone that tells you what's coming out, awesome. That works for you. I just think it's, it's, it's a big hurdle for new fans to get over. And I think it's very important though, to remember that comic shops are operating on a very, you know, small overhead. They don't have a lot mm-hmm. of, they can't, always have everything and they're not always going to have everything so if it's a book you want to read make sure you tell your shop that's the biggest thing yeah absolutely i mean and and the one other thing i'd love to hear is anyone who listens to this show if you send us how if you send us like a quick email of some sort ircb at destroythesive.org send us an email how you manage your pull list and i i would i will honestly sit and read every single one and give you a (laughs) thorough response Maybe a Comixology gift card or something. Like, I would love to just hear how you manage your reading habits. Like, not even a pull list. Just how do you make sure you've got all your books? Are you just going to the library and picking books off the shelf? Are you taking recommendations? Are you... Do you have a pull list? Do you go to the comic shop and just see what looks good? Like... I love, love, love to hear how you do this. Send us some emails. Send us a message on Twitter um, at, at IRCB Podcast. Like, that would be the coolest thing in the world. Because I am constant like i know how you guys kind of manage your stuff but how other people manage their pull lists and how they, they manage their reading lists and all that stuff every single time is a unique completely different experience. catastrophe yeah yeah, yeah. catastrophe mm-hmm. sure. and then mike can but, forward them to me so it fucking drives me insane you know? yeah yeah so we can <laughs> oh i just go in and find system. things on the shelf and get them on a whim and i hope they're they're there next month because i'm not gonna pull them you know so and nick can pull out his hair with just frustration just go insane yeah yeah so I mean seriously, if you if you have if you have a thing, if you if if you think about your comic book reading habits, like send us an email. I'd love to to talk to you about it because this is the the most interesting part of comics for me right now is how people yeah. are finding and reading and managing all of the things with comic books. And even if you're the most casual person who just gets recommendations from a friend, that is a unique experience that is diff- far different from than from what I like am doing and what Nick and Paul are doing as well. Yeah, I don't listen to what anyone tells me. <laughs> well, Nick, I'm not going to send these emails to you. These are just for me to read. 
<laughs> anyway, so I think, I mean, do you guys have any final thoughts on like pull list? Brad, I hope we answered your question idea about this show. Um, any other thoughts about pull lists and managing your libraries and all that stuff? Um, I, I feel thoroughly shamed by not reading previews regularly. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, this next month you'll pick up a previews book. Yeah, I, I think yeah, it's, I, it's on me, Paul. <laughs> okay, I just think it's the biggest thing for me is the difference between planning ahead. It's very hard for me to wrap my brain around. Like, okay, I got to plan out two months in advance what I'm going to want to read versus yeah. the experience of going to the shop, finding something interesting. Oh, that looks cool. Thumbing through it and then deciding to buy it. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about balancing those two elements of being a comic book fan, and that's what I think makes being a comic book fan so um, rewarding. Is that it's a very active involvement. You're not just going to the. You're not just getting stuff passively you have to kind of be actively involved in being a fan which i like yeah i i think paul hit the nail right on the head just being being active being proactive you know have an idea when you go into the shop what books you're supposed to be getting um know what covers you're supposed to be getting or 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 know what covers are available if if that's something you're interested in Uh, have an idea of of how much you're spending or how much that big trade is going to cost you in two months down the line just uh be proactive because i i think in terms of getting what you want and in terms of not spending as as much as you might it's it's only going to benefit you in the future so totally just spend time obsessing that's all i'm saying basically is just uh, (laughs) have time to kill and just you know look at covers a through j and and spend five hours deciding which one you want and of course it's the foil one you idiot so yeah and then and then i'll complicate the entire system and send you pictures of all the covers that are available at midtown that you probably don't have at your shop (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, then you'll accidentally spend another thirty dollars because mike just bought those things for you right nick Right, so after telling you that you need to be efficient and, and try to save money, yes, inevitably you end up wasting time and spending more. So um, as long as you're willing to c- confront yourself with the reality that you're going to you know, let yourself down, uh, welcome to comics, I guess. Yes. Okay, well, you know what, with that, we're going to wrap up because, you know, on that sense of negativity about comic books, we'll just wrap up the show. Um, no, comic book pull listen planning, it's totally a great thing. You absolutely should do it. You can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Paul at OhHiPauly on Twitter. You can also follow his amazing wrestling podcast, Spike Pile Driver, a pro wrestling podcast on Twitter at Spike Pile Pod. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Death Star Plans. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. We retweet stuff and we post polls every week. The one about Alfred was fantastic, and I think this week's one is even better. I didn't write down what it was, but go check out our Twitter profile. It's right there. <laughs> Uh, you can also find our Goodreads group, which is a whole bunch of people reading comics, sharing their thoughts about it. We've got weekly threads about what we're reading and uh, what's coming up the next month. A lot of fun over there. You can also check out our website, ircbpodcast.com, for show notes, links to old episodes, and all other sorts of fun stuff, including our comic book creator pronunciation guide. Please rate and subscribe our podcast. You can go onto iTunes and, and give us four stars or five stars. Is it five stars, Mike? five stars yeah yeah. five stars give us five stars don't even fucking think about four stars uh it really helps the show uh and really elevates our position so we have higher visibility and we'd appreciate that beyond that you can email the show ircb at destroythesibe.org why well mike just listed a reason a few seconds ago about letting us know about your uh pull uh, pull list habits and we would love to hear about those so email the show please and we're still looking for vegan chili recipes and sloppy joe recipes. That's you know, right. send those over to us too. <laughs> uh, Infinity Shred does all the music for a show. They're the best band in the universe. Go check them out at infinityshred.com. 
Xander's a wizard. He edits the show. He's like super cool dude. He does shooty fingers when you see him. He wears sunglasses. He's a super cool guy. And finally, I want to say thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Brad again for commissioning this episode. We really, really appreciate your contribution. And also, when we did the hangout, you were the super cool dude. And we would love to talk to you again. So until next time, may Thor watch over you. Galactus is coming. There's a herald. I see him in the sky. We will check you next time.